2: Recorded
3: live. Now, views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily views of Talkshoe, generating Productions, so that and its sponsors.
4: This is Nation You're Talk. listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
3: This is your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. you talk to the live program program that deals with issues concerning you from the studios of Savannah, Georgia. Into the conversation, call 1724 444 7444. Call your number 55519 pound. That's 1724 444 7444. Call your number 55519 pound.
2: easy to take your world for granted most days
5: go by without a whole lot of surprises but what if a disaster strikes without warning what if life as you know it has completely turned on its head what if everything familiar becomes anything but would you be prepared Before a disaster turns your family's world upside down, it's up to you to be ready. Get a kit. Make a plan. Be informed today. Learn how at www.ready.gov.
2: Ready.gov. This message brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency and the Ad Council. Body aches, rashes, now my hair is falling out. I need some answers. For answers, ask your doctor the right question. Could I have
4: lupus? For answers, for support, for hope, visit couldihavelupus.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office on Women's Health and the Ad Council. Think you could easily get to your
1: family if a disaster struck right now? Think you can wing it during an emergency because you're a New Yorker? Most parents don't realize that protecting your family starts long before an actual disaster strikes. It starts today by being prepared and making a plan.
2: To learn how, take our readiness challenge at nyc.gov slash ready new york or call 311 for information. In this online tool, you'll be faced with real-life challenges teaching you the importance of being prepared for a disaster.
1: Brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ad Council.
2: You're
4: listening to the JAM Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
3: Now views the piece of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talkshoe, generally but and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Good evening, and welcome to Nation Talk, the Sunday Evening Forum. Tonight, we're going to remember the March on Washington. It was on this day, 1963, when the March on Washington took place in Washington, D.C. It was call, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, the the March on Washington, or the Great March on Washington, was one of the largest political rallies for human rights in in United States history, and demanded civil and economic rights for African Americans. It took place in Washington, D.C. thousands of Americans headed to Washington on the Tuesday, August 27th, 1963, and on Wednesday, March 28th, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. stand in front of the Lincoln Memorial Delivered the Nation to the Historic I Have a Dream Speech in which he called for an end to racism. it has been like, over 50 years now and
5: we've.
3: Every year around about this time, I try to give you like a, a, a audio picture of. Oh my, what Like, call in and, and we could talk about that. We can talk about. Uh, what uh, If you think something went wrong We can talk about it um, the, um,
5: It's
3: been over 50 years now And we are try to give you a, a uh, Audio picture Of what happened During that time I was only a few years—I was only about two years old at the time. But I learned about this like way, 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 way later, later, <laughs> and uh, way later on as I got a little older, and I learned just about well in school and what, and, uh, what happened. Uh, tonight we're going to play. We're going to discuss this Um It was also talk about The Civil Rights Act of 64 The Voting Rights Act of 65 The Civil Voting Rights Movement Uh All this was All this was Part of the Um Of the March on Washington And it was marching for jobs And freedom now, here it is fifty years later, a well, little over fifty years later. Have there been any, have there been significant changes since then? Do you think there has been significant significant changes since then? Well, 444 two four, four 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 seventy four forty four, call ID number, 55519 one nine pound. It's the number uh, to discuss Um, to discuss this. Since then, uh, Barack Obama, our president, uh, years later went to the same spot, to the same place at the Washington Memorial, uh, well, the Lincoln Memorial, facing the Facing the towards the Washington Memorial, um, about the same spot where Dr. King made his historic speech. Um, and what I'm told, I I haven't been there yet, and I haven't been there, I haven't been to Washington in quite a while. They said there's a plaque at the at the spot where Dr. King made his speech um, i and it was about that same spot that Barack Obama talked about the march on Washington and do i think during its fiftieth anniversary some of the uh causes. Uh, Centennial signing of the Emancipation Proclamation Eugene Bull Connors displayed violent tactics during the Birmingham campaign mass movements and demonstrations throughout the southern United States result 200,000 to 300,000 people participated of course Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech and the catalyst passed the catalyst to pass the Civil Rights Act of 1964 in the 80th, 88th United States Congress. So that's some of the results of and, and causes of this. Now, here's a little background on it um, that something that I didn't know about it. Of course, as you know, that African-Americans were le- were been legally free from slavery, um, elevated to the status of citizen, and the men given full voting rights at the end of the American Civil War may they they continue to face economic and political repression. Now, we don't... Fast-forward this. The interference for a march on Washington developed over a long period of time. And early efforts to organize such a demonstration, including the March on Washington movement in 19, of the 1940s, A. Randolph, a. Philip Randolph, president of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Cart Porters, president of the Negro um, Negro American Labor Council and the vice president of the ASL-CIO was was a
5: key instigator
3: in in, uh, in 1941. With Bayard wrestling, Rudolph called for 100,000 black workers to march on Washington Protests protest of discriminating discriminatory hiring by US military contractors demanding an executive order. Now remember, this is long before the historic march
0: in sixty and sixty three. Uh Faced with a mass march, faced with a mass march scheduled for July 1st, 1941,
3: President Roosevelt issued Executive Order 8802 on June 25th. The order established the Committee on Fair Employment Practice and banning discriminatory hiring. In the defense industry, Randolph called off the march. Randolph and Rustin continued to organize around the idea of a mass march on Washington. They envisioned several large marches during the 1940s, but all were called off despite criticism from Rustin. The prayer um, the prayer Pilgrimage of, of, for Freedom held at the Lincoln Memorial on May 17, 1957, featured key leaders including Adam Clayton Powell, Martin Luther King, Jr., and Roy Wilkins, along with Mahalia Jackson, who performed. By 1963, March
0: was an important part Uh, important part
3: of the rapidly expanding civil rights movement, which involved demonstrations and nonviolent direction action uh, across the United States, 1963 also marked the 100th anniversary of the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation by, by Abraham Lincoln. Members of the National Association for the Advancement color people in or the NAACP and the, S, the SCLC. <coughs> Excuse me. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference put aside their differences and came together for the march. Many whites and blacks also came together and the urgency for change in the nation. Violent confrontations broke out in the the South, in Cambridge, Maryland, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, Goldsboro, North North Carolina, Somersville, Tennessee, St. Augustine, Florida, and across Mississippi. Most most of these incidents involved white people
0: uh, uh, retaliating against non-violent demonstrations. Uh public failure of the Baldwin
3: Kennedy meeting on May twenty fourth, nineteen sixty three underscored the 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 divide between the need of black American black America and the understanding of Washington politicians. But it also provoked the Kennedys to act action on the civil rights issue on June 11th President F. Kennedy gave his famous civil rights address on national television excuse me national television and radio announcing that he would begin to push the civil rights legislation the law which eventually become the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that night Mississippi After this, that Evers was murdered in in his own driveway, further escalating nation's tension around the
0: issue of racial equality. Yeah, Mike said some. Something we
3: should do every few years. Something seems like we went to sleep during the last 50 years. Progress stopped. There has been some progress. There has, and there's still, there's still some progress, and there's still some progress that that needs to be pushed some more. There are issues that need
0: to be pushed more Like 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 violence Of our Young men And women Now That should be that. That's an issue
3: now That's an issue now that we
0: have now. Um, so that, so there's we we sh- we, we we're, we're looking at.
3: We're looking at some 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 progress in the civil rights movement. Now I'm gonna play some audio here on a. Remembering the March on Washington, Part 1. If you'd if you like to call in and disc- to talk about this, 1724-444-7444, call ID number 55519, one nine pound.
2: This video that you're about to see has to do with commemorating the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. This event marked the height of the Civil Rights Movement. It was there that Dr. Martin Luther King delivered the now-famous I Have a Dream speech to more than 200,000 people on the Mall in Washington, D.C. This speech would reshape the movement and speed up the call for change. St. Joseph was not left out of this personal event. You will hear from two who had a personal stake in this 1963 event. Dr. Bill Hedge was 11 in 1963. His mother, Mrs. Iona Hedge, attended the march on Washington. He will share the experience through her eyes and will recall what he remembers as an 11-year-old. Mr. Richard Lewin made the trip to Washington, D.C. He will share a very rich experience. That coming together of people from all walks of life, literally from all over the country, was a time that shaped our American history. It is our hope that you will gain knowledge and insight and that this presentation will be enlightening to all. Thank you very much.
6: One of the things as we were growing up my parents were always involved in civic and uh, organization my dad was a big labor man uh, just believed in the labors because uh, the labor movement because obviously uh, being a man of color in st. Joseph Missouri or throughout our nation uh, in order to give fair way uh, fair pay for the same amount of work labor was the one who made sure that did take place so they were always involved in those type of organizations my mother was always involved with uh, individuals like Dorothea Polsky, and they would uh, take on different causes throughout St. Joseph, Missouri, that they felt uh, people of color or anyone really, for that matter, was being treated unfairly. And so uh, this is how, again, I think my mother stayed involved and got involved with uh, some of the issues and uh, uh, that was going on during that day. So in 1963, one of the things that we always had in the Uh, when we were growing up, at 6 o'clock in the evening, we always ate dinner together as a family. Uh, My two sisters, mom and dad. So at 6 o'clock every evening, we had dinner. And it didn't matter if you were in Alaska or California, at 6 o'clock you better be home, feet underneath the table, eating the dinner that was being prepared. And so one evening in 1963, which was strange, we were sitting around the table as we always as we always did, talking about our day and dad would talk about work maybe and mom would talk about what she did throughout the day and the children, of course, what was going on with school or getting ready getting ready to go to school at that particular time because it was August and school hadn't started as it is today. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the anticipating, uh, anticipation of school starting. And uh, we were sitting around the dinner table as we always, uh, always did. And uh, there was a knock on the door. And so, one, we were kind of... Uh, Uh, kind of taken back because most people in our community and in the area that we lived and our friends and our relatives and all that knew that we ate at six o'clock most families probably ate around that time between 530 and six o'clock and so who would be coming at dinner time you know it's just uh, 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 just was uh, unreal so my dad gets up of course and he goes to the door Uh, when he goes to the door there's two white gentlemen that are that are standing at our door And they asked, could they come in? And of course, Dad said, What's your purpose of your visit? And they said, Well, we're the FBI agents. FBI agents? What's what's going on? Well, we hear that uh, Iona Hedge is going to the March on Washington. And so we need to interview her, find out why she's going to Washington. So, you know, what do you do when, you know, FBI agents? And they did show their badges and identification and those type of things. And so they sat down and visited with my mother. And, you know, of course, it was strange for us because we're back in the dining room. And you know what what's going on our mother what, what what is she going to do? she's going to going to Washington, but they wanted to find out why she was going what was her purpose of going and and uh so they sat down and visited with my mother at that particular time uh she was going with a group out of Kansas City because there was not uh we didn't have a group large enough from Saint Joe to be going to uh uh to the march on Washington, so uh they hooked up with a group in uh Kansas City and so This was something that they wanted to do. They wanted to go to, if if you know about the march and about that uh, uh, great cloud of witnesses that were there, they were going to say, things need to change in our country, and we're going to go and listen to Dr. King and the other speeches uh, to say that we do count, we are here for a reason. Uh, But the strange thing, again, was the idea that you wouldn't imagine uh, that my mother, who definitely was harmless as a dove, uh, my mother who wasn't definitely hadn't had no criminal record no, you know none of that but in St. Joe, Missouri they sent two FBI agents to come and talk and find to find out why she was going to uh, Washington for the march for the march on Washington and, and again um it didn't it didn't uh, deter her from going and she did go and uh, really just had a great time obviously it was a great event and um and throughout that process we see that progress has been made and yet there's still progress to be made. Uh so it was just really a, um it was a great experience and from that obviously we've been involved in different type of things such as that but the the whole idea of um of uh my mother being politically active even back in 1963 uh might have been even strange or awkward for people because women were just now getting their voices and uh, yet um she wanted to be involved in that movement and as you as we know now that movement turned out to be a great great impetus for other things that were coming along in our country and definitely well needed and was uh, well deserved so uh, but that's that's pretty much what what happened on that 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 eventful day uh, when we were sitting around the table at six o'clock so uh, it, it, it definitely made an impression on our family and I'm sure those throughout our community to know. Uh, that maybe my mother had some importance that they had to come and, and, and check her out. But uh those are the type of things that, that was that was the eventful day that took place in, in sixty three of August.
1: At the time of the March nineteen sixty three, August of nineteen sixty three, uh I was working as a social worker in New York City for the Department of Human Services and I was a child welfare worker there. And we were involved in demonstrations, civil rights demonstrations, uh, frequently in New York City. The And we organized a lot of these uh, through the uh, our union. And when we heard that Martin Luther King and his fellow uh, uh, civil rights leaders had scheduled this March on Washington, we were very interested, very excited about it. And uh, I was on the executive committee of the union, and they asked me to to uh, organize uh, a bus trips, and we uh, I was able to get, uh, I'll say, six Greyhound bus loads of people uh, to take that trip. So we went in kind of a caravan, and uh, it was uh, pretty exciting. We knew that this was going to be a momentous much bigger than anything we had ever participated again in uh, before. Uh, and I had never seen Martin Luther King in person. I'd only seen him on uh, television before, so, but I knew what a powerful speaker he was, and I was very eager to to be there and to, to hear him speak. We had a wonderful time on the trip to Washington, D.C. I can't remember how long it took, but it's. It's hours to get there. So it's probably a couple hundred miles or so to Washington from New York, uh, maybe a little longer than that. We sang for, uh, freedom songs and laughed and joked, and we were looking forward to a, a, a wonderful day. We started out at about six in the morning, and if you have to live, if you live in New York and you have to go from way out on one edge of New York, downtown, to get on a bus and then leave. You had to get up really, really early. But we all seemed to have a lot of energy. We got there, and we formed around the uh, the Washington Memorial Monument. And uh, we were able to get pretty, fairly close to it, in spite of the fact that we were far from the first buses to arrive. And we got everybody from, from, from our uh, uh, Department of Social Services uh, Union uh, organized. And the march had already begun. In fact, the march started so early that the leaders uh, who organized it and the speakers were not even in the front of the march. They had to play catch-up because people were so eager to get over toward the Lincoln Memorial. So we got in line and we marched. And we had to stand, oh, about halfway out through the crowd uh, on the one side of the uh, reflecting pool. And uh, we were pretty far back, but they had great sound, and we could hear very well. And we went through a, a bunch of speakers. John Lewis was an exceptional speaker, uh, but I knew that Martin Luther King, I had heard that he was going to be the last speaker of the day. And I couldn't resist trying to work my way up to the front of the crowd to be as close as I could possibly be when he started to speak, and it worked out great. I had to do a lot of elbowing and shoving and so forth, but I got up there, and I was probably 20 to 30 yards from him because there was a big open space in front of him. I stood there, and I listened to his, his speech, and it was a mesmerizing speech. It was so moving, and it was a strange thing to be. It was like the entire, there were about 250,000 people in that crowd. It was almost like they were breathing together. You could just kind of feel everybody exhaling and inhaling together. It was a very, very powerful experience. You, As you've seen on, on, on the news before, there was a, there was some uh, entertainment. There was uh, Joan Baez and uh, Bob Dylan and a lot of other entertainers who sang there. But those, these people who who were organizing were were the ones that gave meaning to it. I'd like to read uh, a, a few lines from a piece that I wrote about that trip. And here's what I said about Martin Luther King. To me, Martin Luther King is the greatest American who ever lived. It's no contest. The memories of my encounters with him, however brief, remind me of the wonderful days when I was a low-level foot soldier in his fight for equal rights. And that's the way I see it today, and he has been an inspiration for me, which caused me to uh, devote my life to social service and to uh, work hard to raise money and distribute funds to, to help the needy. So it, it, it was a powerful experience to be there, uh, not too far from him that day.
6: In St. Joseph, uh, definitely we had our issues, we had our uh, uh, challenges, but because our parents believed, when you said what happened in in 63, our parents always told us, uh, no one's one's any better than you, and you're not better than anyone else. There will be people who will have more things than you and all those type of things, but as a person, as the internal person, you are just as good as anyone else, and they preach that and preach that and preach that in our head to let us know that we were definitely just as qualified and had the rights to the same type of education, um, the same type of living, the same type of, uh, living, same type of uh, that other people had. And it was a challenge in, even in St. Joseph, Missouri, because uh, there were a number of individuals who had to fight their battles for us in St. Joseph, Missouri, and one of those persons was Kelsey Beshears. As, as they named one of the dorms out at Missouri Western, and we have the, uh, uh, the Racial Justice Award that goes on at the YWCA the first week of May. Uh, one of the things that got her involved was uh, the day the, her grandchild, uh, which is Jerry Cooper, he is now deceased, uh, wanted to go to one of the swimming pools, and they told him he couldn't go. And, you know, of course, that fired up Kelsey Bashirs as well as other mothers, because they had that connection. You know, mothers had a connection. And all the mother had to do was make one phone call, and by the time they make that phone call, every mother in the community in that area knew what was going on, and they knew how to rally and get things done. And so um, those are the types of things that happen when you say what happened before 63 and what happened after the March on Washington, that definitely uh, just strengthened their resolve to say, "Our our children will get the same education as the other children in the community, they'll have the same opportunities that the other children in the community have, I attended Man Elementary School, and until the, uh, my seventh grade year, the majority of students went to Man. Even students from North End, East End, even some—I uh, mean South End—even students from Plattsburgh and some of the surrounding communities came to Man to go to school because that's where they felt comfortable going. And as in the city, that was the only place that, uh, students of color could, could attend. Uh, after, of course, uh, uh, it, it took that long for the Board of Education and, uh, you know, Brown versus Topeka, the Board of Education, it still took that long for uh, us to be able to, if for those who wanted to, to go to other schools. But I remember in the seventh and the sixth grade, Doris J., who was our principal, came to our sixth grade class and said, uh, next year you're not going to be able to go to seventh and eighth grade here at Horace Uh They are desegregating the schools and there are those who could go to edison because at one time they couldn't go to edison uh, go to bliss at one time they couldn't go to bliss and and everett we, i chose to go to everett my sister chose to go to bliss it, it took a while for that progress to take place in our schools uh, definitely in our communities in which people live my dad was a uh, just a staunch believer in the labor movement he could work next to uh, a person a Caucasian or white individual and receive the same pay that they would if the labor if the labor union had not been there there's no way in the world he would have gotten paid the same amount so uh, without the labor movement that definitely would not have happened for people of color mm-hmm. that's you know that is a continuation of those type of uh, efforts to say if there's if there's racial injustice in our city, we need to address it, and you know the mayor and people come and people receive awards uh, for that. So no, that that just continued to uh, heighten their awareness. Uh, definitely, when Kelsey Bashir was uh, was alive, it definitely increased the number of NAACP memberships uh, because again, that was just one of the ways that uh, people of color could have a voice on a national level and on a national scale those are the types of things that happen when you say what happened before 63 and what happened after the march on washington that definitely uh just strengthen their resolve to say our children are going our children will get the same education as the other children in the community they'll have the same opportunities that the other children in the community have when you mess with a a a mother's child that will definitely get them on fire to, to get something done and and those were and the women and the mothers were doing that because fathers were working. They were working eight, ten hours a day, but they left it to the mothers to definitely uh, toe toe that mark, and the mothers did a fine job with doing that, with raising their children and making sure their children had equal opportunity as everyone else. So
2: Did your mom cut the crust off your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? That is so gay.
4: Oh, yeah? How would you like it if I said, That's so guy who makes
2: fun of other people's sandwiches, mostly because he's secretly jealous of them, and who also has ketchup on his face? Okay, jeez. Sorry. Wait, do I seriously have ketchup on me? When you say, That's so gay, do you realize what you say? Knock it off. Learn more at thinkbeforeyouspeak.com. Brought to you by Glisten and the Ad Council.
4: Well, I know the molecular form is H2O. I also know that hydrocarbon is ch 3 ch 250 ch 3 But what I can't seem to find is any scientific formula for Bob, my goldfish.
7: Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to
6: great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to MyPyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. You're
4: listening to the Chamber Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
1: They fought the battle. The change that that led me to want to be a part of all this was when I went to New York and 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 became a social worker and began to see what the kind of uh, conditions the uh, the people who were uh, unemployed or underemployed, uh, ADC mothers and so forth, what they were really uh, living uh, under and. In spite of the fact that uh, there was a certain amount of welfare fraud involved in those days, uh, I soon discovered that most of these people were pretty he- heroic, uh, hardworking people who were trying to, uh, to make it and to uh, get, get off welfare and to raise their children well. And so uh, it changed me from the kind of person I was when I left St. Joe to the kind of person I was when I was involved in that march. Going to Washington, D.C., I wasn't particularly frightened. I had been in a number of demonstrations in New York. Sometimes more than one a week was held in New York for uh, either civil rights or for some other cause, Uh, and I'd been very active. But there was a spirit among the people who were going there, and we felt it on the buses, and then when we joined the rest of the crowd, that everybody was so peaceful, so committed to a nonviolent uh, resolution of, of problems uh, be, based on the leadership of, of, of the march, that uh, it was it was really wonderful. And, and uh, we weren't relieved because there wasn't anything to be relieved of, particularly. But it, uh, but I do know that there were only two arrests made that day. And re- related to the march, and uh, that was pretty pretty amazing. And they were not big; de- they were not really important arrests. We had a wonderful trip back. We felt we had uh, had taken part in a history making experience. And as it turned out, it was because uh, watershed civil rights legislation under because you know the. Uh, President Kennedy was assassinated a, a few months later, but uh, but he had proposed it, and uh, and President Johnson was successful in, in 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 getting Congress to pass just stuff that you 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 thought maybe in your lifetime it might get to be that way, and uh, and yet uh, because I think that 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 speech he gave in the March. And even the, the the foot soldiers like me were just out there, part of the crowd. We all helped to create a, a change in attitude in the president and in the public. And I think a lot of people felt differently about civil rights and human rights once that uh, once, the, once that demonstration was over. Now Kennedy had already introduced a civil rights bill, a massive civil rights bill before the march, back uh, a a month or so before the march. And that that bill had most of the things in it. He had consulted with with Martin Luther King and others when he put that together. And uh, so it had most of the things that they were asking for, and it had to do with equal rights uh, to vote uh, for job opportunities uh, for uh, public access, uh, to all facilities. The, the reason I believe Martin Luther King was the greatest American who ever lived is that he, in the face of enormous violence to him and his fellow uh, uh, leaders and, and other uh, civil rights workers, he maintained this nonviolent philosophy. Well, I didn't start out necessarily committed to nonviolence, I think one of the I was still a little shaky even before we went to uh to the uh demonstration on the twenty eighth of August in nineteen sixty three as to whether you could really deal with these things uh in a nonviolent way because what other country has has taken has had these kinds of changes uh without some violence uh but I came away from that demonstration uh very committed to a nonviolent and I think uh of a nonviolent uh uh not just a, a a morality but a nonviolent strategy as something that can work and he learned it martin Luther King learned it uh, not just from uh, uh the New Testament but he learned it from gandhi and and uh and from studying Buddhism and other uh other uh and philosophers and uh, he stuck to it how he did that I don't know because I mean look at John Lewis today if you saw him interviewed who was beaten nearly to death 50 years ago and he still I mean the words that come out of his mouth about nonviolence could easily be uttered by Martin Luther King himself he's just so committed to that and so committed to loving every human being uh, you you just wonder how, how somebody cannot be scarred and embittered by by what he what what went through, but he is not.
0: I was remembering the march on Washington. Uh, details on. On what happened,
3: uh, at your perspective of what happened, uh, we're gonna later on just tonight we're gonna play the speech that that made that was made famous, very historic. But now let's listen to some some sounds of the march. Freedom Now
7: movement, hear me. We are requesting all citizens to move into Washington, to go by plane, by car, bus, any way that you can get there. Walk if necessary.
3: We are pushing for jobs, housing, desegregated schools. This is an urgent request. Please join.
7: The American Broadcasting Company continues its coverage of the March on Washington. We
5: are not afraid. We are not
7: afraid. It's impossible to get a precise estimate of the crowd here, but it's certainly well over twenty-five thousand now, and swelling
8: fast. <laughs>
2: On the orderly, dignified manner in which you executed the march from the Washington Memorial, you have already told the world what we are here for and shown them by your courage, determination, and your order that we mean business. I give you now the Freedom Singers.
7: And since we're all in this movement together, we'd like to ask you to raise your voices and sing with us and clap
5: along with you.
2: Bob Dylan, Lynn Chandler, and others, and a song of their
0: own.
8: We are not a pressure group. We are not an organization or a group of organizations. We are not a mob. We are the advance guard of a massive moral revolution for jobs and freedom. The march on Washington is not the climax of our struggle, but a new beginning, not only for the Negroes, but for all Americans who serve for freedom and are
0: paralyzed. great tribute to the role the Negro woman
8: has played in the cause of freedom, equality, and human dignity, I now call on Miss Daisy Bates, that great champion of Negro rights and freedom to give awards to Diane Nash Bevel, Miss Herbert Lee, Ms. Rosa Parks, and Miss Gloria Richardson. Ms. Daisy Bates.
7: Mr. Randolph, friends, the women of this country, Mr. Randolph, pledge to you, to Martin Luther King, Roy Wilkins, and all of you, fighting for civil liberty, that we will join hands with you as women of this country. Rosa,
5: Rosa. Frank.
7: My President, Dorothy Heights. the National Council of Negro Women, the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, the Methodist Church Women, all the women, pledge that we will join hands with you. We will kneel in, we will sit in until we can eat in any corner in the United States. For many years now, the National Council of Churches and most of its constituent communions have said all the right things about civil rights, but as of August 28, 1963, we have achieved neither a non-segregated church nor a non-segregated society, and it is partly because the churches of America have failed to put their own houses in order that that 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, 175 years after the adoption of the Constitution, 173 years after the adoption of the Bill of Rights, the United States of America still faces a racial crisis.
8: We will now be favored for the solo, Miss Marion Anderson. He's got the whole
7: world, in his hands he's got the big round world, in his hands he's got the wide world, in his hands he's got the whole world, in his
8: hands. We march today for jobs and freedom, but we have nothing to be proud of. Of hundreds and thousands of our brothers are not here or they're receiving starvation
7: wages or no wages at all.
2: My friends, let us not forget that we are involved in a serious
8: social revolution. By and large, American politics is dominated by politicians who feel their career on MR compromises and allow themselves an open form
7: of political, economic and social exploitation.
8: There are sections, of course, we salute those, but what political leaders can stand up and say, my party is a party of principles, But the party of Kennedy is also the party of East <laughs> the party of Javis is also the party of Goldwater, where is our party? Where is the political party that will make it unnecessary to march on Washington? We are tired. We are tired of being beaten by
7: policemen.
8: We are tired of seeing our people locked up in jail over and over again. And then you holler, be patient. How long can we be patient? We want our freedom, and we want it now. This rally is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of a great moral crusade
7: to arouse America to the unfinished work of American democracy. So let this be the beginning of that great crusade to mobilize the moral conscience of America so that we can win freedom and justice and equality and first-class citizen for every American, not just for certain Americans, not only in certain parts of America, but in every part of America, from Boston to Birmingham,
8: from New York to
1: New Orleans, and from Michigan to Mississippi. Thank you. You're
4: listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
3: The views of P in the Nation talk, and I'll the views. Of Talkshoe, to Production, Sodahead.com, sort of and sponsors. This
0: is Nation Talk.
3: Good evening, and welcome back to Nation Talk, our second hour. Tonight we are remembering the March on Washington.
8: I am glad to report to you that the official count is that we have over 200,000 people in
5: The message that I
8: shall give to you today was written by Jim Farmer from a Blackman jail, and I shall quote his message now. In the age of thermal nuclear bombs, balance is outmoded to the solution of the problems of men. It is a truth that needs to be shouted loudly, and no one else anywhere in the world is saying it as well as the American Negroes through their nonviolent direct action.
7: Brother Randolph, fellow Americans the National Urban League is honored to be a participant in this historic case. Our presence here not only reflects the civil rights community's increased respect for and awareness of the Urban League's role, but most important, it says, and I hope loud and clear, that while intelligence, maturity,
2: and strategy dictate that as civil rights agencies we use different methods, We are all united as never before
7: on the goal of first-class citizenship for all Americans now. Where is a man, white or Negro, whose heart has not been touched by the revelation in the past few months of racial sores among the people of our country? We are gathered a long 100 years after Lincoln declared slavery at an end in the United States. Yet slavery is all too close to us as we demonstrate for equality and freedom today. I want to thank all of you for coming here today because you saved me from being a liar. I told them you would be here. We have come
1: asking the enactment of legislation
7: that will affirm the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that will place the resources and the honor of the government of all the people Behind the Pledge of Equality and the Declaration of Independence. When I was the rabbi of the Jewish
8: community in Berlin under the Hitler regime, I learned many things. The most important thing
7: that I learned in my life and under those tragic circumstances is that bigotry and hatred are not the most urgent problem. The most urgent, the most
8: disgraceful, the most shameful, and the most tragic problem is silence. At this time, I have the honor to present to you
5: the moral leader of
8: our nation, A great, dedicated man. At this time, I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation. I have the pleasure to present to
7: you Dr. Martin Luther King, JR. I
5: am
8: happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today Signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as the red beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as the joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later. Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity one hundred years later. The, The Negro
7: is still languished in the corners of American society
8: and finds himself in exile in his own land. So we've come here today Dramatize the shameful conditions. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to catch a check. The architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of
5: Independence.
8: They were signing a promissory note. With every American walked to fall out. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad sex, a check which has come back marked
5: insufficient from.
8: But we refuse believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time (laughs) to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summit of the Negroes' legitimate discontent will not pass. Until that is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude
7: awakening if the nation returns to business as usual.
8: There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of the revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. That is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the Palace of Justice.
0: We must forever conduct our
8: struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of leading physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community, must not lead us to a distrust of all white people.
7: For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today,
8: have come to realize that their destiny is up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone, and as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites
5: only.
8: We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote, and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No No, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not my unmindful. Some of you have come here. Out of bread trials and tribulations.
5: Some of you have come
8: fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where you're your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution, staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back
5: to Louisiana.
8: Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern
5: cities.
8: Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed, let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you, today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream. One day, this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. to hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners, will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream. One day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city. we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men.
2: My first week home was great. We had a party.
1: Two o'clock in the morning, they were waiting for me. My niece was waiting for me at the airport with a sign. There was a
2: huge sign across my front house, and it said, Welcome home, Megan.
1: They lifted me up on their shoulders.
4: First week back, people just said thank you. Now what about the second week?
3: A new generation of veterans is coming home. Make a difference for them at WelcomeBackVeterans.org.
4: Brought to you by WelcomeBackVeterans.org, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America,
2: and the Ad Council. How to deal with someone who says, that's so gay. Turn it around. Did your mom cut the crust off your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? (laughs) That is so gay.
3: Oh,
4: yeah? How would you like it if I said, that's so guy who makes fun of other people's sandwiches, mostly
2: because he's secretly jealous of them and who also has ketchup on his face? Okay, geez. Sorry. Wait, do I seriously have ketchup on me? When you say, that's so gay, do you realize what you say? Knock it off. Learn more at thinkbeforeyouspeak.com. Brought to you by Glisten and the Ad Council.
4: You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The views and opinions of Nation Talk,
3: and i the views, i talk to you. Jam Radio Productions, sort of and its
0: sponsors. This is Nation talk. need a website for your small business with web.com's do-it-yourself website product you that's
8: where courage comes from
3: What we're about to hear is President Obama's march on Washington's speech commemorating the 50th anniversary.
8: To the King family who have sacrificed and inspired so much. To President Clinton President Carter, Vice President Biden, Jill,
0: fellow Americans. Five decades ago today,
8: Americans came to this honored place to lay claim to a promise made at our founding. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life,
0: liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In
8: 1963, almost... 200 years after those words were set to paper. A full century after a great war was fought and emancipation proclaimed that
0: promise, those truths, remained unmet. And so
8: they came by the thousands, from every corner of our country, Men and women, young and old, blacks who long for freedom, and whites who can no longer accept freedom for themselves while witnessing the subjugation of others. Across the land, congregations sent them off with food and with prayer. In the middle of the night, entire blocks of Harlem came out to wish them well. With a few dollars they scrimped from their labor, some bought tickets and boarded buses, even if they couldn't always sit where they wanted to sit. Those with less money hitchhiked or walked. They were seamstresses and steel workers, students and teachers, maids and Pullman porters, They shared simple meals and bunked together on floors. And then, on a hot summer day,
0: they assembled here, in our nation's capital, under the
8: shadow of the great emancipator, to offer testimony of injustice, to petition their government for redress and to awaken America's
0: long, slumbering conscience. We rightly and best remember
8: Dr. King's soaring oratory that day, how he gave mighty voice to the quiet hopes of millions, how he offered a salvation path oppressed and oppressors alike. His words belong to the ages, possessing a power and prophecy unmatched in our time. But we would do well unmatched in our time. But we would do well to recall that day itself also belongs to those ordinary people Names never appeared in the history books. Never got on TV. Many had gone to segregated schools and sat at segregated lunch counters. They lived in towns where they couldn't vote, cities where their votes didn't matter. There were couples in love who couldn't marry. Soldiers who fought for freedom abroad that they found denied to them at home. They had seen loved ones beat, children firehosed. And they had every reason to lash out in anger
0: or resign themselves to a bitter fate. And yet, they chose a different path. In the
8: face of hatred, they prayed for their tormentors. In the face of violence, they stood up and sat in with the moral force of nonviolence. Willingly, they went to jail to protest unjust laws, their cells swelling with the sound of freedom songs. A lifetime of indignities had taught them that no man can take away the dignity and grace that God grants us. They had learned through hard experience what Frederick Douglass once taught, that freedom is not given, it must be won through struggle and discipline, persistence
0: and faith. That was the spirit they brought here that day.
8: That was the spirit young people, like John Lewis, brought to that day. That was the spirit that they carried with them like a torch back to their cities and their neighborhoods, that steady flame of conscience and courage that would sustain them through the campaigns to come, through boycotts and voter registration drives. Smaller marches far from the spotlight, through the loss of four little girls in Birmingham, the carnage of the Edmund Pettus Bridge, the agony of Dallas, California, and Memphis. Through setbacks and heartbreaks and gnawing doubt, That flame of justice flickered and never died. Because they kept marching, America changed. Because they marched, the Civil Rights Law was passed. Because they marched, a Voting Rights Law was signed. Because they marched doors of opportunity and education swung open so their daughters and sons could finally imagine a life for themselves beyond washing somebody else's laundry or shining somebody else's shoes. Because they marched, city councils changed and state legislatures changed and Congress changed and, yes, eventually the White House changed. Because they marched, America became more free and more fair, not just for African Americans but for women and Latinos, Asians and Native Americans, for Catholics, Jews, and Muslims, for gays, for Americans with disabilities. America changed for you and for me, and the entire world drew strength from that example. Whether well, the young people who watched from the other side of an iron curtain and would eventually tear down that wall. Or the young people inside South Africa who would eventually end the scourge of apartheid. Those are the victories they won. Those are the victories they won with iron will and hope in their hearts. That is the transformation that they wrought with each step of their well-worn shoes. That's the debt that I and millions of Americans owe those maids, those laborers, those porters, those secretaries, Folks who could have run a company, maybe, if they'd ever had a chance. Those white students who put themselves in harm's way, even though they didn't have to. Those Japanese Americans who recalled their own internment. Those Jewish Americans who had survived the Holocaust. People who could have given up and given in, but kept on keeping on, knowing that weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. On the battlefield of justice, men and women without rank or wealth or title or fame liberate us all in ways that our children now take for granted as people of all colors and creeds live together and learn together and walk together and fight alongside one another and love one another, judge one another by the content our character in this greatest nation
0: on earth. To dismiss the magnitude
8: of this progress, to suggest, as some sometimes do, that little has changed. That dishonors the courage and the sacrifice of those who paid the price March in those years. <clears throat> Medgar Evers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner,
0: Martin Luther King Jr., they did not die in vain. Their victory was great.
8: But we would dishonor those heroes as well to suggest that the work of this nation is somehow complete. The arc of the moral universe may bend towards justice, but it doesn't bend on its own. To secure the gains this country has made requires constant vigilance, not complacency, whether by challenging those who erect new barriers to the vote, or ensuring that the scales of justice work equally for all and the criminal justice system is not simply a pipeline from underfunded schools to overcrowded jails. It requires vigilance. And we'll suffer the occasional setback. But we will win these fights. This country has changed too much. People of goodwill, regardless of party, are too plentiful for those
0: with ill will to change history's currents. In some ways, though, the of civil rights, voting rights,
8: the eradication of legalized Discrimination. The very significance of these victories may have obscured a second goal of the march. For the men and women who gathered 50 years ago were not there in search of some abstract idea, they were there seeking jobs as well as justice not just the absence of oppression, but the presence of economic opportunity. For what does it profit a man, Dr. King would ask, to sit at an integrated lunch counter if he can't afford the meal? This idea that, that one's liberty is linked to one's livelihood, that the pursuit of happiness requires the dignity of work this livelihood that the pursuit of happiness requires the dignity of work the skills to find work decent pay some measure of material security this idea was not new Lincoln himself understood the declaration of independence in such terms as a promise that in due time the weight should be lifted from the shoulders of all men, and that all should have an equal chance. Dr. King explained that the goals of African-Americans were identical to working people of all races. Decent wages, fair working conditions, livable housing, old age security, health and welfare measures, conditions in which families can grow have education for their children and respect in the community. What King was describing being the dream of every American. It's what's lured for centuries new arrivals to our shores. And it's along this second dimension of economic opportunity. The chance through honest toil, to advance one station in life. But the goals of 50 years ago have fallen most short. Yes, there have been examples of success within black America that would have been unimaginable a half century ago. As has already been noted, black unemployment has remained almost twice as high as white employment. Latino unemployment close behind. The gap in wealth between races has not lessened, it's grown. As President Clinton indicated, the position of all working Americans, regardless of color, has eroded, making the dream Dr. King described even more elusive. For over a decade, working Americans of all races Have seen their wages and incomes stagnate, even as corporate profits soar, even as the pay of a fortunate few explodes. Inequality has steadily risen over the decades. Upward mobility has become harder. In too many communities across this country, in cities, and suburbs, and rural hamlets, the shadow of poverty casts a pall over our youth, their lives a fortress of substandard schools and diminished prospects, inadequate health care, and perennial violence. And so, as we mark this anniversary, we must remind ourselves that the measure of progress for those who marched 50 years ago was not merely how many blacks could join the ranks of millionaires. It was whether this country would admit all people who are willing to work hard, regardless of race, into the ranks of a middle class life. The test was not and never has been whether the doors of opportunity are cracked a bit wider for a few, whether our economic system provides a fair shot for the many, for the black custodian and the white steelworker the immigrant dishwasher, and the Native American beverage. To win that battle, to answer that
0: call, this remains our great unfinished business. We shouldn't fool ourselves. The task will not be easy. Since
8: 1963, the economy's changed. The twin forces of technology and global competition have subtracted those jobs that once provided a foothold into the middle class, reduced the bargaining power of American workers. Our politics has suffered. Entrenched interests, those who benefit from an unjust status quo, resisted any government efforts to give working families a fair deal. Marshaling an army of lobbyists and opinion makers to argue that minimum wage increases, or stronger labor laws, or taxes on the wealthy who could afford it, just to fund crumbling schools—that all these things violated sound economic principles.
0: We'd be told that we'd be told that growing
8: inequality was a price for a growing economy measure of the free market. Greed was good, and compassion ineffective. And those without jobs or health care had only themselves to blame. And then there were those elected officials who found it useful to practice the old politics of division, doing their best to convince middle-class Americans of a great untruth, that government was somehow itself to blame for their growing economic insecurity, that distant bureaucrats
0: were taking their hard-earned dollars to benefit the welfare cheat or the illegal immigrant. And then, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that
8: during the course of 50 years, there were times when some of us claiming to push for change lost our way the anguish of assassinations set off self-defeating riots legitimate grievances against police brutality tipped into excuse making for criminal behavior racial politics could cut both ways as the transformative message of unity and brotherhood was drowned out by the language of recrimination And what had once been a call for equality of opportunity—the chance for all Americans to work hard and get ahead—was too often framed as a mere desire for government support. As if we had no agency in our own liberation. As if poverty was an excuse for not raising
0: your child. bigotry of others was reason to give up on yourself. All of that history is how progress started. That's how hope was diverted. That's how our country remained divided.
8: But the good news is, just as was true in 1963, we now have a choice. We can continue down our current path in which the gears of this great democracy grind to a halt and our children accept a life of lower expectations, where politics is a zero-sum game, where few do very well while struggling families of every race fight over a shrinking economic pie That's one path. Or we can have the courage to change. The March on Washington teaches us that we are not trapped by the mistakes of history, that we are masters of our faith. But it also teaches us that the promise of this nation will only be kept when we work together. We'll have to reignite the embers of empathy and fellow feeling, the coalition of conscience that found expression in this place 50 years ago. I believe that spirit is there, that truth force inside each of us. I see it when a white mother recognizes her own daughter in the face of a poor black child. I see it when the black youth thinks of his own grandfather in the dignified steps of an elderly white man. It's there when the native born recognizing that striving spirit of new immigrants. When an interracial couple connects the pain of a gay couple who are discriminated against and understands it as their own that's where courage comes from When we turn not from each other or on each other but towards one another and we find that we do not walk alone that's where courage comes from And with that courage, we can stand together for good jobs and just wages. With that courage, we can stand together for the right to healthcare in the richest nation on earth for every person. With that courage, we can stand together for the right of every child from the corners of Anacostia to the hills of Appalachia to get an education that stirs the mind and captures the spirit and prepares them for the world that awaits them. Appalachia to get an education that stirs the mind and captures the spirit and prepares them for the world that awaits them. With that courage, we can feed the hungry and house the homeless and transform bleak wastelands of poverty into fields of commerce and promise. America, I know the road will be long, but I know we can get there. Yes, we will stumble, but I know we'll get back up. That's how a movement happens. That's how history bends. That's how when somebody is faint of heart, somebody else brings them along and says, come on, we're marching. There's a reason why so many who marched that day and in the days to come were young. For the young are unconstrained by habits of fear, unconstrained by the conventions of what is. They dare to dream different, to imagine something better. And I am convinced that same imagination, same hunger of purpose, stirs in this generation. We might not face the same dangers as 1963. Fierce urgency of now remains. We may never duplicate the swelling crowds and dazzling procession of that day so long ago. No one can match King's brilliance but the same flame that lit the heart of all who are willing to take a first step for justice. I know that flame
0: remains. That tireless teacher... Who gets to class early and stays
8: late and dips into her own pocket to buy supplies because she believes that every child is her charge. She's marching. That successful businessman who doesn't have to but pays his workers a fair wage and then offers a shot to a man, maybe an ex-con, who's down on his luck. He's marching. The mother who pours her love into her daughter so that she grows up with the confidence to walk through the same doors as anybody's son, she's marching. The father who realizes the most important job he'll ever have is raising his boy right, even if he didn't have a father, especially if he didn't have a father at home, he's marching. The battle-scarred veterans who devote themselves not only to helping their fellow warriors stand again and walk again and run again, but to keep serving their country when they come home. They are marching. Everyone who realizes what those glorious patriots knew on that day, the change does not come from Washington, but to Washington. The change has always been built on our willingness. We, the people, that take on the mantle of citizenship, you are marching. And that's the lesson of our past. That's the promise of tomorrow. In the face of impossible odds, people who love their country can change it. And When millions of Americans of every race and every region, every faith and every station can join together in a spirit of brotherhood, then those mountains will be made low and those rough places will be made plain. And those crooked places, they straighten out towards grace And we will vindicate the faith of those who sacrifice so much and live up to the true meaning of our creed as one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
1: Up. Welcome to Canada, Mesdames et messieurs, ladies and the gentlemen, President the President of the United America. States of Obama. America, Barack Obama.
8: Speaker, members of the House, Senate, distinguished guests, people of Canada, thank you for this extraordinary welcome, which tempts me to just shut up and leave <laughs> uh, because it can't get any better than this. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for uh, the warm welcome.
0: I'm extraordinary.
1: Life dealt Norma Jean Hornsberger a hard punch, a knockout. This dedicated Salvation Army staffer was only 32 when doctors diagnosed her with cancer. Then her husband, Al, was diagnosed with cancer too. The disease took them both at young ages. But first, Norma Jean wrote a book about her fight. For each new round, she had one tactic, to greet every new blow with the joy of faith. Choose joy, she'd say. This is Howard Butt Jr. of Laity Lodge. Norma Jean's fight with cancer echoes what Paul wrote to the Philippians. In Philippians 1.25, he says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Even our suffering can bless in the high calling of our daily work.
3: Well, it's to you return September the 5th at 6 a.m. In the meantime, you can hear... You can hear the best of one inspirations of Gen Radio two point one on Jam Radio Network four seven eight eight three pound tomorrow morning at eight AM. I'd like to thank all of you for joining us. Thank you all for um being for listening to us week after week after week. The views and opinions of Nation Talk Let's necessarily the views of Talk Show Jam Radio Productions. So here, dot com, and its sponsors. This has been Nation Talk, a public affairs program, at Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Join us next Sunday for another Nation Talk here on Talk and Jam Radio. Till until next time. T- until tomorrow morning. At 8 a.m. Good night, and God bless you.